It's the Face of Chicago Business Podcast, introducing you to the stories behind the faces, focused on fixing today's problems with thoughtful leadership and purposeful living. Sit down with us as we get to know the individuals who make our city second to none. How you guys doing? I'm Tony Arce, and this is the Face of Chicago Business Podcast. Today, I'm joined by my good friend, Corey Warfield. Corey, thanks for being here, brother. It's an absolute honor. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, we uh, we were talking about how uh, we just met, we connected, right? And and just that kindred spirit, that feeling of, you know, this is someone I want to be friends with. So I'm just excited to, to be able to share your story, talk a little bit about, you know, what you do and all the good things that are coming uh, your way. So interestingly, and, and thanks for that, as a little context to those tuned in, I met you on the other side of the wall that we're in right now yeah. as a guest on another podcast. Exactly. You're a friend of mine who's invested in one of my companies and who's become like a sister to me, but I came here just to see her. And I felt when I left, like I had come here to meet you. Right. And then now (laughs) we've had dinners, we've had breakfasts, we've had, you know, some real, just amazing conversation. And every time that I'm in your presence, Tony, it changes my life. So (laughs) to be here right now, I'm just, you know, if, if, if 10,000 people listen to this or, or if one person listens to this, I'm here, I'm here for you. And, and, and this is all about me right now. (laughs) Well, I appreciate the very humble, humbling, and uh, I, I just uh, I'm honored uh, as well. So, with that, let's uh, let's get started, brother. Where where are you from originally? Tell us where the story began for you. Now, uh, what is it? Twenty five years ago? Yep, something like that. Something like so, that. in the <laughs> '70s, uh, when I was the 1970s, when I was living in Oregon, where I was born, I watched Mount St. Helens erupt um, on the rooftop, and so the story goes that the ashes were falling on my head, and. Um, at two years old, I had decided around that time. It was time, 1980, right, when that happened? 1980, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I had decided, I think, just a little bit earlier in my life than that, that I had wanted to be a boss, right? So at two, I told my family, and I think I used you know, some, some subconscious, subconscious and subliminal uh, methods, but I told them I wanted to leave, right? No more volcanoes. So we moved here to Chicago, uh, where my father was from. He was from Kenilworth. And so we moved here, and we, we got a place in Skokie, Lived there for a few years, moved to Evanston, and that's where I, I spent all my formative years. I think so how, how old were you when you first moved here then? Two. Oh, okay. Yep. Right away. Yep, boss baby. Yeah, boss baby. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so you grew up in Evanston? I did. So where did you go to high school? Evanston Township. Oh, nice, nice, nice. So then what happens after high school? Take me through that journey, because it's quite the uh, interesting story. Yeah, so um, I was an AP student, honor student, um, Went to a, a good college on a full academic scholarship. Had a oh, really nice. bad, well, I had a really, really bad experience there um, that I don't talk about. Mm. And so I dropped out of school. Gotcha, gotcha. And then my father, who had been Illinois Teacher of the Year, um, oh, amazing, wow. amazing. Like high school? Yeah, and okay. in, uh, in Lake County. Okay. Um, I won't name the high school, but um, got in a lot of trouble. And mm. uh, so he went to prison. I dropped out of college, and I went absolutely crazy. So yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, I ended up being homeless on the streets out on the, the West Coast for a couple of years when I was like 18, 19, 20. Oh, geez. How'd you even, how'd you get out there? So long, long story, but I went out there with a little posse and a couple of nice cars and a bunch of money. And then we got robbed for all of it. So my then best friend's throat was cut um, in front of me and they took all the money. We had like a little bit of money in the soles of our shoes oh. um, afterwards. And yeah, so. Holy smokes. That's yeah. gotta be extremely traumatic. It was crazy, right? So, like, we were—I was eating out of garbages, asking for spare change, sleeping in parks under bridges, um, and at some point, in early twenties, I decided I, I wasn't going to do that, right? Like, came from a good family, reasonably intelligent, um, 
And, you know, at that time, I literally was trying to be a battle rapper. So, like, every night I was showing up at places, I'd literally make, like, 20 bucks sometimes, like, beating somebody in a freestyle battle rap. Um, but so I decided that that wasn't for me, and I started washing dishes. And washing dishes at a restaurant in a little ski town, no one else there had work ethic, and I didn't have running water or heat. So they couldn't get rid of me, right? I was there open to close seven days a week, best dishwasher they How, how old are you at this point? About 22. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So you so, spent a few years doing that. Well, yeah, I did. And um, so within the restaurant industry, though, I worked my way up to busboy, waiter, the bartender, and became certified as a sommelier. I started very quickly making <laughs> you know, the equivalent of about $150,000 a year. Wow. So now I was able pardon, to send money back home to my mom, able to right. I finally had a, a place. It was a nice place. I had a pool table, keg raider, friends coming over. So like life is good again, right? Family in Chicago started getting sick one by one. People started dying. And so I moved back here just to kind of help take care of them. And that was 20 years ago-ish. Oh, wow. Yeah, probably like 16 years ago. That's that's incredible. Now, when when you were moving your way up, you know, tell, tell me about that. I mean, just the mindset, the what's going through your head when when like that stuff's going down as far as, you know, with your friend getting robbed. I mean, did your friend live or no? Yeah. Oh, jeez. I mean, that's, that's, how was your friend after that? How are, how are things? Tell me about it. It's crazy. We're, we're Facebook friends, right? So I get yeah. to still see him. He's got a dog and a woman. I think they'll have a kid at some point. He's, wow. he's a few years younger than me, but so he's probably flirting with 40. Okay. And though, and like at the time that it happened, I mean, did it give you inspiration or anything else to rap? I mean, did it, did it scare the crap out of you to where you didn't want to do it? Like what, what, what was going through your head back then as a kid? I mean, literally we, we, we were at least thinking that we were representing a gang and we all thought we were tough. And so it was just kind of a lifestyle that we had chose. Interesting. Um, yeah. And then as soon as I was done with it, I was done with it. Right. So I listened to classical music again and right. I mean, it's just when, when you're in these, these scenarios, it's really difficult to see outside of those confines. And now, I mean, we talk about it and you're, you're such a spiritual person and, and you're on this journey that you're seeking truth no matter what and what you're doing. Right. But back then I feel like it, you know, we resonate a lot with our stories just in terms of who we are right now as people, but it sounds almost like you had this, you know, rebellious attitude about you and, and, you know, maybe a little not caring, right. Uh, about uh, others, but do you feel like that just person that you were just a completely different human being in terms of the way that you process those experiences and thoughts? Not necessarily. And so like, even when I was on the streets, I would try to like, I would go buy the cheap pizzas and find other people that needed pizza and make sure that other people that needed food would get food before I did. Right. I've wow. always just been more of that. Like when I could get a, a motel room for a week, I would and let everyone in that town come sleep. Like we'd have 30 people in the motel room. No way. Right? Used to get kicked out. And like back then, you know, this is before cell phones or anything. So, you know, it's like everything was just done on a handshake and, and cash money kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, I definitely, you know, decades later still relate to that person. I think I was just very confused. Um, but, and, you know, I, I had a little a little group that would go behind me and do whatever I said even back then. So I think, I, it, you know, that might have been my foray into leadership somehow. Interesting. But but I was fortunate, and, and I say this and people think I'm being facetious, but I was, I was fortunate to have a few weeks of my life where I was in a small room being, being monitored um, by law enforcement and had my butt kicked by, you know, five, ten people at a time twice a day, every day. <laughs> and Right, so, yeah, I mean... All my teeth were loose. I had, you know, bruises all over my body, lumps and all that. The psychiatrist from that county jail is a Facebook friend of mine now. And he's like super proud of me, super religious guy. We talk really often. But I just needed, I needed, I needed the crap kicked out of me. 
So who was doing the ass kicking at that time? The police. No way. Well, the, the law enforcement. Right, right, right. Jeez. I mean, that is a lot. Well, there were women. There were men. I mean, it's, you know, they'd come in as many as could fit in the room and just kick me everywhere they could. And why? What, what were you doing that was causing them to do that? I, I, I was in a lot of trouble. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So you were getting in trouble. Yeah. Part of that just seems like, again, that, that rebelliousness that almost has served you. Maybe it's almost like it was misdirected energy. Well, and here's, here's what's interesting. All I ever wanted, and my parents were hippies, all I wanted was to go to the military. Like, I wanted that structure. I wanted that discipline. I wanted, I think I really just wanted my butt kicked. Yeah, Even, yeah, you know, yeah. up until that point, I've never been in trouble again, right? That was, I think it was 1999 or 2000, never been in trouble again because that's what I needed. Yeah. I just needed life to come kick my ass. And like, thank God that it did. Um, but so meanwhile, probably in those same years, you were in the military. We're, we're around the same. So like you were living my best life. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. It's just like it, but it does follow. Like when you, yeah, you need the discipline. And sure, I probably got in trouble less, but at least I didn't get caught or whatever. But, you know, I, I think you're right. You know, as, as these individuals that we recognize who we are, sometimes we know we can't do it alone. And, and that we need our, our asses kicked a little bit just because... That's what we know we need, right, to, to, to get us started. So how, how have you shifted that into, well, tell us about what you do today and how it's evolved so much since, you know, your days uh, bussing tables and moving all the way up to becoming a Somalier. Well, so I, I spent some years in restaurant management and restaurant consulting. I came back here and opened a steakhouse in downtown Chicago. Oh, no way. Yeah, I helped run the private dining department there from zero to 15 million a year in revenue. And wow. we'd have people like Bill Clinton and Michael Jordan and Steve Harvey and Vince Vaughn, like all these people that I kind of grew up loving. They'd all became my regulars and I got to know them all and all the sports teams in town. Would and you were there. managing the restaurant? Or? Um, I, I was the, 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 they called me the captain of the fine dining department. So gotcha, I helped gotcha. with the parties, set them all up. The waiters would report to me and things like that. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and so I, I did that until five years ago, and I started my first tech company. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, just just down the street from here, you know, and it's still there. I still have friends there, but it's I waited my last table five years ago, and in that time, now I've I've started five technology companies of my own. I've helped scale about a hundred more. My wow. my couple ventures have raised a few million dollars, but all in with the companies I've helped raise capital for, we've raised about fifteen million. Um, some of them are on shelves on, on most of the stores coast to coast right now. So it's just a lot of fun, right? I help people scale companies, bring their ideas to life. I've got a company called Information. Um, we've got Infor.finance and Information.com. We're literally giving people their own data back. So no one will ever have access to your data again unless you want them to. And if they monetize it, you get some of that money. That's awesome. Much needed. It, it's fun. We're, uh, we're gamifying social media growth and recruiting at Corey Connects, CoreyConnects.com. Um, so that's a lot of fun. Shedwell, we're, we're an all-in-one restaurant technology platform helping restaurants come out of COVID profitably. And that's Shedwell, right? Shedwell. Check your <laughs> Shedwell. It's yeah. a play on the word schedule. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. That was, that was the first tech company I started. Um, and we graduated. Oh, that was the very first one. Yeah. Gotcha. And that's what, that was I'm, the most successful one. Th- thusly. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. The, the most revenue, most, most funds raised, the largest team. So yeah. What inspired you to get started uh, in your entrepreneurial journey? The the steakhouse I had helped open was taking away our expensive scheduling software, and we all lived on it. It's the only way we knew when we were working and, and could communicate with one another. Interesting. And so I tried to put something together just on the fly. I tried to use um, Google Sheets. I tried to use Facebook groups, right? And nothing worked. And I realized there was nothing powerful on the market that was uh, reasonably affordable. And we, we had lost our solution purely on price. So I created the first free scheduling software for restaurants, and that wasn't as sustainable. So we ended up, you know, building out some really cool AI and compliance tools, and starting to charge for those. Interesting. Now, 
Did you have prior uh, coding experience or? None. So tell me about that. How did that even come to be? Yeah, well, so one of the companies that's more notable that came out of Founder Institute, where I'm a managing director now, is called Udemy. And so they're, they're a platform that teaches people how to code. I went there. I tried to learn a little bit. I realized that I'm probably not not as, as smart as some of those people. And so I found some people who are smarter than myself. And, and so I learned a little bit of project management, you know, kind of enough to, to go through some code repository and just like, you know, understand what was going on. But and so, you know, I was able to put my small life savings into the first couple legs and I found a technical co-founder. And, you know, from there at this point, we have a tech team that's seven people. So it's still pretty strong um, but and lean, you know. That's amazing. So did you, I mean I didn't hear you mention college and all this. Did you go to school? I yeah I dropped out after one year. So ninety seven. <laughs> so this is how, how I mean it just seems like you you're I'm extremely educated in in whatever it is that I'm I'm assuming you want to get into. You, you, you researched the hell out of it, but yeah, like how did you? What steps did you take to get to that point? Because I'm sure people are listening. Like and it's an inspirational thing, right? That if you're in a situation, it doesn't matter how bad it is. There's always a way out, right? And and you're a living proof of that. So, I guess more than anything else, people are listening, going, "Man, I, I you know, I'm serving, uh, I'm busting tables, or I'm doing this, or I'm doing that." And I'm I'm hearing Corey's story, and just so inspired about it. But but he, he must have had something special that that helped him get started. And I'm sure it's not true, but I would love to hear just, yeah, what what what, what did it take for that to happen? So first of all, if you are a busser or a waiter listening to this podcast, you are already doing everything right. <laughs> first of love all, love that, love. Um, that. But re- realistically, I I started off with a with a piece of paper and a pencil, right? And I drew out wireframes, and now they're I, I have them next to to the bed in one of my bedrooms, um, and I just look at it sometimes. The, the paper's been ripped once because right, moving from place to place. <laughs> yeah. Um, but and and I just I decided that. I was going to do it, right? And that that's all there was to it. I went to the library and got a book called The Lean Startup. I read, read a book called Traction once we were ready to scale. Like I think reading is, you know, what did I say? Um, leaders are readers, right? But mm-hmm. I think, you know, it, it really is so true. All the information is out there. And at this point, everybody has a phone in their pocket. Like anything you need to know is at your disposal for free. Absolutely. Exactly. And people just don't take action. And I, I heard a stat once, which was amazing. 100% of people fail their business at the same time. And that's right when they quit, right? And a lot of those people quit before they ever get started. It's unfortunate, right? Like the only people that have ever made anything of themselves are the ones that kept going and persevering. I mean, so that's what I've done. I mean, there've there been a lot of people, a lot of steps of the journey five years now that have, you know, thought that we were we were done. And and so far we just keep signing bigger logos, right? And and growing growing the team. So And and one of the ways you got there was uh um well, I guess the influence part, but you created quite a following for yourself on, on LinkedIn, right? Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> so where are you at right now? Last time I checked, it was like a little under a quarter million. Yeah, so that that was probably fairly recently. Um, I'm, I'm gunning for 300K right now, so I'm at 280-something thousand oh, wow. followers today. But I mean, more so than that, right? It's nice to have a big network, but these are people from around the world that lead some of the biggest companies and that are doing some amazing things, and my network loves me, and they love to support one another. So that's cool. I've also found a way somehow to crack the code to where I've gotten tens of millions of views on my posts. Some of those posts have had millions of views on their own. And some of those posts have made me a lot of money, right? So (laughs) it's like, it's at that point where it's great to have people that know you and love you. It's great to be able to send messages of love and unity and all these things, which is what I use my platform for. Um, But I've made substantial money through that as well so far. And that, you know, that 
perpetuates. And so it's, you know, there's, it's been the gift that keeps on giving <laughs> truly. So now I'm working on a lot of cool free tech to help people around the world do that, you know, exactly as I did for free. Absolutely. And, and one of the things you're talking about being passionate about is, you know, that, that helping others, but also, you know, that, that curiosity that you have to explore, right? Um, is it okay to start to share a little bit about what, you know, your, your vision is for the future? hundred percent. Yeah. Tell me about that. Well, so I'm working with a with a couple guys out of Toronto, Stratty and Stephen Clark, to help world end world hunger. I'm using the blockchain to help solve a lot of, you know, unique problems, socioeconomic. Um, really trying to help with fair wage and things of that nature. But my my real like adventure mind, I'm super convinced that we can get to the bottom of the ocean and then to to further in outer space than we've ever been before. And the way that I postulate that is using 3D printing, using, you know, some controlled explosions. And I think about that and talk about that every single day. So, right, everything in between talking to people at some of the space programs right now um, about just different ways to try to do things. And one of the things that just I'm fascinated by is what we don't know about the bottom of the ocean, right? But one of the things you had mentioned was even just... The potential to learn from species and how you know they regenerate uh, body parts or you know brain cells or whatever it is that that we need right that we have no concept of to do on our own that the possibilities could be down there right is is that your greatest motivation you'd say is to find some of these things that could benefit humanity or is just the curiosity to explore well sorry there are jellyfish that can help regrow brain brain stem cells and all kinds of crazy i mean it's really bizarre yeah oh no the, the, the further down you get and there are electric animals that glow in yeah, neon yeah. and that can communicate in different languages and that i mean it's the chameleon type marine wildlife is just beyond fascinating right and so much of it is probably i mean it is alien but it's probably like from other worlds alien yeah, right? for sure. that came down on meteorites but the first time I ever kind of realized that this, there might be something there was an article when I was still in restaurants. It was probably seven or eight years ago. And they found a ship that had sunk that was en route from France to Russia. And the way that this ship had sunk, it was carrying a huge shipment of the finest champagne in the world at the time on the way to the Tsar. It was by appropriation of the Tsar. And this, this boat went down at such a, such a speed. And the lighting and the pressure was so right and the light was so right, and this is about 200 years ago, that this happened, that the wine was preserved perfectly. <sighs> and so when they pulled it up, they popped a bottle, and um, scientifically, a bottle of methyl champenoise, so a bottle that's had a secondary fermentation in the bottle, will have mathematically 100 million bubbles in it. These, bu- these bottles still had 100 million bubbles in it, right? Like, perfectly, and they said it had they aged well. <laughs> So initially it was like 50,000, if I'm not mistaken, a bottle, and then it quickly went up to hundreds of thousands. Yeah, I bet, I bet. So it was the best champagne in the world back then, and it was you know, considered, because it had been sold properly accidentally, it was still considered the best champagne in the world. So the trick is just store your wine at the bottom of the ocean. The bottom, bottom, well, this is a C. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah but. but... And so I said, wait a minute. With the combination of the light, the pressure, like, things wouldn't necessarily decompose or rot. Like They might get a whole lot of growth on them, and then I started doing some research on some of the, you know, potential cities where they found some of them underwater. Like Atlantis or what? Well, so I, I know where Atlantis is, but anyhow, yeah. um, but this is more so off the coast of like India and things of that nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in, in, in terms of the, I guess, the vision for it, what is it? Are you building a company around it? Is it, I mean, you mentioned both exploring, you know, the sea, but then also using kind of that same technology to explore uh, space too, right? Absolutely. And it's less about a company, but... If I, I, 
I either you either didn't hear me say it or there's so much you want to go into, but um, one thing I just mentioned and I, I am passionate about is I believe wholeheartedly that I know where Atlantis is. Yeah? <laughs> I heard it. I, I guess, you know, is it something that you want to explore or is that something that... What do they, when you say that, what does that mean? So it means that I believe that the, the continent of Antarctica used to not be there. Oh, and I believe in crustal dysplasia. And I believe that Antarctica used to be further north, close to Australia, and that that was Atlantis. Hmm. And that it had advanced technologies, and that it had amazing animal life, and that at a certain point when the, plate, when the plates shifted, that it went further south, further away where the sun wasn't shining, and that it froze over almost instantly and created an ice age. And that we can get underneath there, and people like the Nazis were obsessed with them. Yep. I mean, there, there's been a lot of speculation, and you know, there are people that think there's a, a hole to the center of the Earth there. I'm pretty sure that's not true, but there might be a hole into something cool that's a little bit lower um, that, that may have survived some of the, the life that might have, you know, sought to go down. There's a lot of mystery around Antarctica. I mean, a lot of countries that go there, a lot of private expeditions trying to find well, there, the same thing. There's militaries. Oh, there's yeah. Google Earth hides it. I mean, there's. The, the more that you know about that, the, the more that, that a, curious, a curious mind has to be intrigued. And so effectively what I want to do is using 3D printing, I want to create effectively like wormholes or elevator mm -hmm. shafts. And we print them out of rubber and metal, or we will. And I'm going to prototype this very small before we take it bigger, but effectively having some gases in so it's a controlled environment like a light bulb, placing what's effectively a bullet or an elevator shaft without a string attached to it, inside of there, shut it off so it's pressurized and have an explosion on one side. Airtight, there's nowhere for it to go but the bottom at the speed of sound to the speed of light, right? And start off with robots, but then if, as long as there's an explosion on the other side, they can send it back up mm. and it's airtight. All you need to be able to do now is facilitate a way that once it gets to the bottom, you can open up, put it down into that, right? So that it's never exposed and, or compromising the integrity of the tube. And it's kind of like the old banks where you can send something up and down and the, the mathematics on how long it would take to get to the moon in that same capacity is a lot shorter than a rocket. Wow. And a lot better for the environment. So why are you trying to blow things up? Nothing blowing up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just messing with you. Um, I, I just want to blow up paradigms. But is that is that like it, when you would say life's work, is that something that you would see as being your life's work? Or, or what's, I mean, what's the goal? It's a pretty, pretty ambitious goal. It seems like it wouldn't just take, you know, an overnight or a weekend uh, uh, project to do. Oh no, yeah. I mean that that could effectively be my life work. I think truly at this point, I I can die. I could die today happier. I could live another thousand years, which I believe humanity has the capacity for yep. uh, as well. And either way, I will be happy. I will be satisfied because I really think that my job, and when I say my, it's like the royal my, the royal <laughs> we, um, is just to bring more love into this earth. I believe that's that's biblical. I believe that that's spiritual. I believe that that you know. If it's not loving to get to the bottom of the ocean or outer space, I don't even want to do it. For sure. <laughs> right? Like For it's, sure. I would much rather go hug Troy and Clark and Lake again and give him a $50 bill so I know he's going to have lunch today. But at the same time, right, if that can help humanity or, frankly, it can be cool. <laughs> and fun, right? A little fun. Yeah, a little bit. But it's but it's who we are, too. I mean, as people, we have to understand that it, it's curiosity that, that got us to where we're at. And, you know, without it, we we wouldn't explore. We wouldn't know what we know. We wouldn't have that that sense of of needing to to understand something, right? It's 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 who we are as people. We're seekers. We're seekers, absolutely. We're pilgrims. <laughs> um, so, in terms of you know the the you do a lot in terms of I guess call it mentorship, but I think a lot of people look up to you, right? And and there's this a lot of wealth of of wisdom that you have. Where, where do you see that? 
part of what you do and it's part of the you know the community that you create the organizations the companies all that how, how does that fit into it so i'm so bullish on blockchain right now as a technology and some of the underpinning things the smart contracts all of that but so some people i've had the fortune of becoming friends with lisa ma um, is the chief growth officer at hub and then the, the founder there eric lee was also the co-founder of linkedin and so he's built this new platform that's on the blockchain that's all about knowing how you know people where they came from who knows mm -hmm. people that you knew having you know kind of being able to go back and so they facilitate these amazing um online uh events and then they do breakout rooms and afterwards you can kind of see everybody that was there and, and see some semblance of oh maybe i should talk to this person this person and this person oh they actually know each other maybe i should give this person you know a 15 minute call and just using that type of collective consciousness i think from a technological standpoint i think is really huge yeah so and, and then that, i guess what i'm it, i'm hearing is that you're using that technology then to help other people or is that well, i think so i think it's the way that we become more and more connected and i think the, the more people that tune into that connection the the closer that we get to that oneness that i think a lot of us aspire to absolutely and now people want to get connected to you um you know who, who are you looking to connect with and, and who should be reaching out um through our site well so my cavalier answer, if I wasn't on the face of Chicago business, <laughs> is going to be, I'm not really looking to talk to anybody right now because I'm doing so much. You're so I, busy but right now. No, the people listening to this show, Tony, anybody listening to this is somebody I want to know. And, um, you know, frankly, I'm the type of person, if anyone's doing anything cool, I want to know about it so I can amplify it and, and get that, that message out there. Um, if people are starting companies, I always encourage them not to raise money until they don't really need it anymore because investors don't want to give it to you until they don't really need it anymore. But if anyone's in that sweet spot looking to raise money, I definitely love helping people raise money to scale. Um, if anybody is trying to launch something, I'm happy to give them you know, at, at least a couple bullet points or 15 minutes on ways they can do it without having to raise money, um, which is how I've launched all my companies. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I'd, at this point, I, if I could go back, I'd give my millions of funds raised back as well, frankly. Yeah, no, I, I hear that. So, well, if that sounds like you, I'd encourage you to reach out to Corey. There's a form below that you can uh, contact him directly. Just put your name and, and send him a message. But Corey, always a pleasure. I'm excited to see you again, again this weekend. So Tony, I don't know if you've ever been asked this before, but do you have a good joke? Oh man, I'll be honest with you, no. <laughs> I don't think I'm not funny, but I'm definitely not a jokester. Like, I don't have jokes. How about you? Oh, my gosh. I shouldn't have asked that with that one locked and right? loaded, right? <laughs> you put yourself on the spot. Well, listen, we just both got a laugh out of that. So That's perfect. We'll Good way to end. Absolutely. <laughs> Love you, brother. brother. Jinx. <laughs> Thanks all for listening. <laughs> Thank you, man.